The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Canadian astronaut David St. Jacques completed his first spacewalk today. St. Jacques and fellow astronaut Anne McLean uh, handled a multitude of tasks tasks during their six and a half hour spacewalk outside the International Space Station. Well, you know what? Our next guest enjoyed a 21 year career as an astronaut, made three space flights, orbited the Earth something like 2,600 times and was Canada's first spacewalker. Colonel Chris Hadfield, welcome back to the show. It's nice to talk to you again. Lynn, it's nice to be talking with you today, and what a uh, what a great day for David and for the Canadian Space Agency and for all of us looking up. Yeah, so tell us, you know, when you we, I, I'm guessing you watched today, Chris. Uh, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I ta- I talked to David uh, during the week as well. You know, get uh, back and forth with him up on the space station, and he worked so hard today and did a great job and uh, made the space station more capable and even Canadarm too so more capable. G- so yeah, it was a good day. Give us an idea of what his day, those hours leading up to stepping outside of the space station would have looked like for him. Uh, it takes about four hours to get dressed. Wow. Um, you have this, it's, and it's really, you know, people call it a space suit. It's really not a spacesuit. What you do is you're assembling a one-person spaceship mm. around your body. You're like a transformer. You know, you have, you have to build this thing, and, and it keeps you alive. It, yeah. You know, it's a full uh, life support, and you know, you've got a jet pack on your back and all those things. So it's very laborious, and you've got to build it all correctly. Uh, you know, even one floating hair on any of the seals, and you'll have a leak that you can't survive. So very painstaking maybe, I don't know, a 500-step process to go outside. But finally, the moment arrives when uh, the pressure inside the airlock hits zero. You turn the big handle and uh, and push the hatch out of the way and, and physically, with your two hands, pull yourself out into the universe. And I got to watch David do that today, and it <laughs> put a big smile on my face. Well, does it bring back, it brings back some memories for you, obviously. You're, and I know I've asked you this before. You said you don't miss it, and I, I love the way that you think because you've been there, you've done this. But can you explain to us mere earthlings <laughs> what it's like to step out of the space station? Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost miraculous. Um, the best best example maybe I can think of is next time you're in a toilet stall, you know, and it's that little sort of confined and well-known environment. Imagine if when you're finished and you stood up and, and you open the door to step out, imagine if you were on the top of Mount Everest mm-hmm. and, like, you close the door again and you go, what the heck? And then you open it again. It's that bizarre to be inside the ship and inside the airlock and all those things. But then when you pull yourself through that hatch, it's as if somehow it was a portal to an entirely different world, or at least a wildly different experience. And and it, you, you inside your suit, you shake your head, and and you you're just um, stunned by by the immediate uh, omnipresent beauty of the world there that's in front of you. And, and it's just you can't even sort of integrate it into your head. You you almost have to just close your eyes for a sec and focus back on the job and get all the little things done. And, and then sneak peeks at the world until you're, you're ready to absorb it. it. It's an amazing transition 
and and David did a great job today. Well, and it's hard to pinch yourself uh, in 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 that. <laughs> <laughs> you've yeah. you've yeah. talked you've talked um, you know, and you're coming you're coming back to town uh, later on this month, uh, April twenty first, I think it is. Um, yeah. uh, you'll be at uh, Winston Churchill Square. Last time um, I heard you speaking, you know, you talk um, about how difficult it is to work in those conditions, um, and about I, I remember you talking about almost like if you know the sandblasting things going by but just how hard it was with um the gloves that you have on just you know everything can you can again can you share that with us um because it, you must feel like you're trying to you know hammer tiny tiny little things with this massive sledge sledgehammer you don't have that finite fingertip ability uh yeah you're, you're really hampered by what you're wearing you're, you're wearing essentially uh, an enormous um, inflated snowmobile suit, uh, but it's inflated to the stiffness of of like a volleyball. So imagine if every time you tried to bend your elbow or or, or flex your knees or close your fist, mm-hmm. it's the stiffness of of the skin of a volleyball. And the gloves, they not only have to you know give you tactility, but they have to protect you from the temperature, which swings from minus 150 to plus 150, and and so it's like some sort of weird, super complex hockey glove. And, and you can't move your body in normal directions. The suit only bends in very certain ways. And every movement is like uh, fighting against uh, a bench press machine. <laughs> and yet, even with all of that, like, like this weird clanking suit of armor that you're wearing, you still have to do these delicate things. And they were, they were threading cables and yeah. making all little delicate electrical connections and, and trying to get things carefully in place. And you can't ever get the leverage of your own body. You can't, you know, brace your feet and push because you're weightless. So everything is, is holding on with one hand while trying to do the work with the other hand or trying to get your feet wedged into something so maybe then you can use both hands. It's a very bizarre and foreign <laughs> environment. If you can imagine... Uh, wearing a full snowmobile suit, floating in a swimming pool, <laughs> trying to um, build a, a car engine. You know, it's just, everything's a mess. And and despite all of the training, you still have to figure it out when you get there. And so I'm doubly proud of the great job David and Anne did today because uh, they got everything done plus some get-aheads, and, uh, and now they can look back and, and just uh, revel in what they, they accomplished together. So what exactly did they do today? Uh, well, let's see. The space station is solar powered. Uh-huh. So oh, the first thing they did was go work with some of the huge batteries that carry that power while we're on the shadowed part of the world. Because um, we go around the world every 90 minutes. So you get daylight and then dark. So uh, they, they got one of the batteries properly hooked up. And then they're running cabling all over to make the space station safer. Um, so that if there's a short circuit or, or part of it gets hit by a meteorite or something... That, um, that you can try and keep the power running from inside. I don't know if you remember in, in Star Wars when, when um, Han Solo and Chewbacca were fixing their ship sort of from the inside. They didn't have to go outside on a spacewalk, sort of to set it up that way and um, so that they can do all the work from the inside. And then to make Canadarm2 more capable, they, they ran a bunch of extra wiring so that no matter where on the space station it's working, it can still have guaranteed power. And then they were running just data connections all over, sort of like cable guy, you know. But the yeah. station's been up for 20 years, and parts of it are, you know, 20 years ago, the technology was different. Uh, and then finally, um, the Europeans have a big um, uh, module that's coming up, 
and um, and David was over putting all the the basic uh, foundations in for being able to attach that. So it's sort of just a big job list of stuff to get done, and um, and they did it all. So uh, so it was a good day. So when you come back in, um, the adrenaline's just got to be going through you. How long does it take to come down? And you must be exhausted afterwards. Yeah, it's funny here to say come down. <laughs> uh, no, well, I was amazed because I'd been working very focused, as you're right, you're right, very sort of ad- adrenaline push. You know that the last 10 minutes is just as hard and just as dangerous and critical as, as the first 10 minutes. So you focus right up to the end. And then right at the end, we got the hatch closed. We repressurized the airlock. The crew got my helmet off. They, they pulled me out of the out of the suit like a chick coming out of an egg. And then I found myself just helplessly sort of floating and shimmering. I, I was completely out of gas. You know, you can't eat in the suit. So I hadn't eaten anything for about 10 hours. And and I was just uh, completely wiped out. And for about a half hour, I just floated in a corner of the spaceship, sort of shivering and, and getting myself back together, letting my body recover a little bit. And then um, people brought me, you know, warm, sticky drinks and, and a <laughs> chocolate bar or something. And then... And then I could get back to work and clean out the suit, you know, because it's got you got to wipe all the sweat out or about yeah. everything, but um, and then get it ready for the next next spacewalk. But that's what the date will be doing now. The combination of great physical exhaustion, yeah. but a great mental exuberance at, at what he had a chance to do. I mean, so amazing. We celebrated on our five dollar bill. And yeah, Steve got to do that today. Three fifteen, Colonel Chris Hadfield joining me on the show this afternoon. Um, there was uh, some. You, we were talking about that suit and the importance of that suit, and you said like even just a hair somewhere can be life or death. We were um, there was some fist waving going on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, NASA canceled what was supposed to be the first female spacewalk with Anne McLean, who was out with David today. Um, she says it was on her recommendation because the suit just wasn't it wasn't right. It was I think that there was two. There's the medium one and the there was a large one, um, and again, when you when you talk about how cumbersome those suits are, I mean, it, it has to be perfect. And this seems to make a little bit more sense now than when it first came out. When we when we hear it firsthand about about um, how precise things have to be. Yeah, yeah. The myth uh, reporting on that. Well, everyone was for whatever reason hair triggered to to not know what they're talking about, but yell at the top of their lungs. It was just <laughs> bizarre. But uh, on on this, there are eleven of those suits that exist in the world, uh, or or off the world, and four of them are on the space station. Wow. And on the space station, there are fixed sizes. You know, they're spaceships, not not um, not uh, suits, <laughs> but. Um, there's two that are medium. There's one large and one extra large because that covers sort of the the spectrum of, of who astronauts are. Yeah. Um, and Anne had thought that she could work in a large as well as a medium. But when she got up there on her first spacewalk and did the work, she realized uh, she wouldn't be efficient in a large. And it was going to take 12 hours of reconfiguration work to, to shift one of the mediums to get it ready for, for both her and Christine to go outside. And uh, and she's an operations person. She's like, we're not going to waste 12 hours mm-hmm. up here mm-hmm. um, for no real purpose. And yet, for some reason, uh, everyone in the world suddenly thought they were a spacesuit expert and started interpreting what, what all that meant. And it was just, it was kind of frustrating because she is supremely competent and, and made absolutely the right call. And she couldn't care less how many chromosomes the people are who are going outside on a space mm-hmm. farm. Uh, I mean, the most experienced astronaut in American history is a woman. That's right. And, and she's done 10 spacewalks. Wow. You know, and so so the the, the hubbub, I think, was really um, 
misrepresented of, of what's actually going on. And, and I'm, gr- I'm really pleased that, uh, that David got to go out with Anne today. The, both of them just did a great job. All we're really worried about is competence. Mm-hmm. And, and the astronaut corps is rife with competent people. And two of them were out doing spacewalks today. Chris Hadfield joining me this afternoon. Just had a text come in and it says, could Chris speak a bit about the new generations, the new generation space suit? Do you... Oh, we're always looking for better spacesuits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there was the ones in the 1960s, uh, sort of the early test spacesuits, and then we built specific spacesuits for the 12 people who walked on the moon, um, and they had to work with gravity. And But then ever since then, it designed in the 70s and started using in the early 80s, we've had suits that are designed for weightlessness. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're, they're, it's an old design, and, and they're very complex, like a big Swiss watch. Um, we, we need better technology you need to take advantage of you know the miniaturization of computers and things and i'm really looking for someone to design a better suit but but it's not simple and it's not um trivial and and if you have something that works really well then then you have to ask yourself well why would we throw that away mm-hmm. for something that we hasn't tested yet so yeah there, there's lots of people working on suits of the future but all astronauts can really deal with our suits of the present mm-hmm. and, and that's what they worked with uh with today and they're hard on your body you come in beat up you know you come in often you've worn through your skin you're bleeding somewhere yeah um we've had astronauts have their fingernails ripped off in the suit it's it's a it's not a delicate or easy or, or simple it's a major physical endeavor to do a spacewalk it takes toughness and um and strength and and fortunately Anne and david have, have lots of both you're going to, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you're going to be in Edmonton the end of the month, April 30th at the Wind Spirits, uh, marking the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. Uh, the title of your presentation, Exploration, Where We're Going Next. Uh, and you are very excited about um, about the future of space exploration. And certainly um, when, when you do speak, you're talking about the pay, pace and, and seemingly how fast developments are happening with space exploration, what's going to happen next. Yeah, there are three big things have changed. Um, one is um, computers have gotten so much smaller. You, you know, you can actually have artificial intelligence on board in a tiny little box. So that means your your spaceships and, and experiments don't need to be nearly so big. Um, the second is GPS. It has given us super accurate navigation capability that was used to be way harder in, in space. And the third and the biggest is rockets. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what Elon Musk and what Jeff Bezos and what, what Peter Beck down in New Zealand, the rockets that they're coming up with right now are dropping the cost of access to space radically. And suddenly, if things are smaller, lighter, uh, better uh, positioned through navigation and way cheaper, it opens up a whole new market. Uh, to it's like the invention of the wheel or the invention of the ship or the train or the airplane. It changes the game. And, and that's where we are in spaceflight right now with the technological advances. And, uh, and it's, it's already playing out pretty strongly in, um, in unmanned ships, but mm-hmm. it'll start to play out with people. And, and maybe this is the moment in history where the technology is good enough and the cost is low enough that we can start living not just on a space station, but actually start living on the moon. And it's like one of those things like living in Antarctica that sounds crazy yeah. until you start doing it, and then suddenly thousands of people live in Antarctica. And it, it's sort of at that threshold of history.
and uh, and it's coming faster than most people think. And then that's part of what I'll be talking about when I'm there at the end of the month. Sounds great. It's 321. Just before I let you go, and I know I've probably held you on for too long, but any time I get a chance to, to talk with you, I love doing so. And the one thing I just wanted to bring up is that um, in one of the events that we did uh, recently, I, I emceed, you were, you were speaking. But one of the things that I was absolutely just uh, not amazed by it, but I was just... It was really great to see is that you took time for every single person in that room, Chris. Everybody who wanted a picture got a picture. Everyone who wanted an autograph got an autograph, even I think a couple of times. Um, that is that is really important to you to make sure that that connection is there at every event, isn't it? Uh, I've been uh, immensely lucky and privileged in my life. And, and and given the huge joy of, of uh, being one of Canada's astronauts um, and, and flying in space three times, I recognize the rarity of that and, and also the, the, um, the, it, the significance of it. I mean, we're starting to leave our planet, and, and there's so few of us have done it. And the level of curiosity and mm-hmm. inspiration and, and ideas that come from it um, I regularly tie in with classrooms across the country. I, I you know, I try and share the experience to the best of my ability. And so, if I'm going to go somewhere and 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 talk to people, then uh, I really feel it's just uh, an absolute level of responsibility for someone who's been so lucky to try and share it every possible way I can. It's why I'm I'm talking to you. It's it's why I've written books and why I teach at university and help, mm-hmm. you know, why I put a master class online. All of those things are to not squander the experience. And so today, is, uh, you know, spaceflight is celebratory and yeah. fun and joyful. And, and today was, was all of those things. It's hard. It's dangerous. But it's also magnificent and, and kind of um, extremely inspirational first steps away from home. And so, uh, yeah, I, I try and do my best to let other people feel it uh, every chance I get. Chris Hadfield, always wonderful talking with you. Look forward to seeing you at the end of the month. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jillian. Nice to speak with you also, and have, have a good evening. Yeah, you too. Take care. Chris Hadfield, Colonel Chris Hadfield, Commander Hadfield. Uh, he also calls himself the great mustachioed one um, because he does have a great mustache. Check it out. Uh, his website, if, you are, if you're interested in what we just talked about and you want to learn more, his website, chrishadfield.ca, has a ton of stuff on there. It's a really, really great resource. And, of course, if you follow him on Twitter as well, he takes questions. Someone had said to him today, hey, you know, when they're working outside uh, the space station today, what's it sound like inside? And he's like, it sounds like they're just beating on it with a great big uh, hammer. And it's it's quite loud inside the International Space Station, the pictures that he puts out. So again, on Twitter, at Commander Hadfield, uh, check him out there. ChrisHadfield.ca is the website. We gave away some tickets to this um, earlier. I don't have any right now, but there are still some tickets available. He is going to be in town, as I said, April 30th. We'll be speaking at the Windspear. Uh, the tickets for the VIP event are, are sold out, but regular admission tickets are still available. And, of course, at the Windspear, it's a beautiful venue, and it's uh, really up close and, and personal. So it's celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. Uh, the title of it, Exploration, Where We're Going Next. Uh, it's going to you know talk about the history and the future of space exploration. Exploration. Check it out, chrishadfield.ca. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.